Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. How are you doing, church family? Great. Oh, okay. It's all, yeah, we're here. It's, it's always interesting how we answer that question, isn't it? And usually I catch myself saying, yeah, I'm doing really good but not always doing really good. You know how that works? So uh, this week, I'm not doing really good. So this morning I've been answering, I'm doing all right, and then giving a little bit of explanation. So here's my explanation. I was sick this week, and in these days, you don't talk about being sick. You don't let people hear you cough, right? So I hesitate even to say this. I got my tea up here. I'm hoping my voice holds out. We'll see how it goes. But um, Wednesday, I took a sick day. It was kind of a man-cold thing. You know how that works? My like, head was full, voice sounded like Darth Vader. You know, what are you going to do? So I'll, I'll take the day, rest, try and get over it. And I thought I got over it. I had a life group leader. Here's how our church works. Here's how God works. I had a life group leader pop in, knock on the door. Here's a care package that our group made for, for our pastors, and, and this one's for you. The day, like, right after my sick day, I was like, well, thank you, God. That's what I needed. Then I was chatting with somebody on the phone. How are you doing? Well, actually, I'm feeling a little sick. Well, hey, I've got this awesome herbal tea remedy. Uh, What time are you going to be home? I'll meet you in the driveway and get it to you. Seriously? Okay. I received a letter of encouragement, chewing through this stuffed campaign content and linked to something else somebody was thinking about, so they shared it with me this week. All of these different ways our church is encouraging in the time of need, so I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you, church family. Matthew chapter 6. Do you want to turn there this morning? Jalen read this last Sunday. Such a beautiful scripture, and you know it well. Let's read through it, we'll pray, and we'll dig into it, because we have some big questions to ask and some tough content to chew through today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
I love that last line. Would you join me in prayer today as we dig in? God, would you give me the voice for this message? Would you give us the ears to hear your truth? Would you help us to apply what needs to be applied today? Would you help us to change what needs to be changed? Would you give us the courage to confront the areas in our life that we've been avoiding? God, we thank you for this truth from Scripture. Help us with our anxiety, with our stress, with our worry. Today, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. People are worried. You worried today? Worried about war in Europe? Worried about viruses? Worried about the state of the economy? Do we keep our money in the banks? I don't know. People are stressed out about providing for their families, putting food on the table, clothes on the kids' back, paying rent, gas. There's so much fear out there right now, isn't there? So much fear about tomorrow. How can we keep up with the cost of it all? If it keeps going at this rate, what does tomorrow look like? People are busier than ever. There's so little margin in our lives these days, in our schedule, in our bank account. So here's the context of Matthew chapter 6. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It starts back in chapter 5 of Matthew. You've got the crowds, you've got the disciples, they're up on the mountain, they're seated, they're listening to Jesus teach. Jesus is teaching the Beatitudes, salt and light, anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, this whole whole downside-up kingdom that Steve referenced last week. This is what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. I want you to notice a theme here that I think is important for our discussion today. When Jesus is talking about generosity, Matthew 6 and verse 4, Jesus says, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When talking about prayer, Matthew 6 and verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Same language. When talking about fasting, Jesus says in verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your heavenly father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see this theme? Three times, same language. The father who sees in secret. We live in this comparison culture, don't we? It's like a keeping up with the Joneses society. And everything is so visible. We judge so much on the outward appearance, but we know that God judges the heart, the secret place. Comparison creeps in. Comparison kills contentment. It kills joy. Who gave the most money? Who prayed the most elaborate prayer? Who suffered the most in fasting? It becomes a competition. So much of this reality that we call life isn't actually physical and tangible stuff. It's not really about the stuff, is it? It's not about the outward appearance. It's so much of this experience we call life happens in the secret place, in the mind, in the heart, in the soul. And it can't be seen by the people around you. You may look one way on the outside, But how you're really doing, what you're really up to, can only be seen by God in the secret place. Isn't that true? This is what we're going to talk about today. 
It's the secret place, the place that only God sees that really determines how we're doing. Today we're going to talk about worry. Worry is something that happens in the mind and the heart. How we stress over our stuff is really indicative. It's a metric for where our faith and trust really lies. Do we trust God or do we fret and worry about our stuff? Jesus goes on in the same Sermon on the Mount. He says, lay up treasure in heaven. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You will despise one, serve the other, hate one, love the other. Man, so many times we feel like a slave to the money, don't we? Money's not serving us. We're serving the money. How many times have we had a question or considered something and we go to our bank account and the number at the top for the answer as to whether or not we will or won't? And money makes the decision for us. We serve it rather than the other way around. We allow money to make our decision. Maybe we get stuck in the thinking, I don't have enough, so I can't. I can't give up that double shift. I can't take the day off. I can't be generous. I can't attend a retreat. I can't help someone in need. I can't be available to my kids. I can't have margin in my life. And we let money make that decision. There's so much stress wrapped up in that way of thinking, isn't there? Serving money. Does the number at the top of your account have the final say? Let's, let's jump back into our scripture that we read at the start. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Therefore, Jesus says, because your father who sees in secret will reward you in that secret place, because you can't serve God in money, because you've got to seek first the kingdom of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know, as a physical human being with a body that's made up of material stuff, it really boils down to three necessities, three priorities for survival, for life. Do you ever watch any of those survival shows? I'm not talking survivor, I'm talking legitimate survival shows. I really like Bear Grylls. He's a guy that I've followed for a long time. He's a macho guy, but he's also open about his faith, which I really appreciate about him. He's got some weird theology, but I appreciate that he's open about his faith. He talks about the rule of threes. In an extreme survival situation, the body can last three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. Those are the necessities, the priorities, the top focus for physical life, for survival. In the Lord's Prayer, just a few verses earlier, Jesus prayed, give us this day our daily bread, our necessity. What is necessary to make it through today. Necessities are all about priorities, right? What do we really need? You watch some of these survival shows and these people don't get their priorities right. Spend all of these calories in hiking and traveling and setting up these big base camps before they establish a water source and then they gotta change their base camp and, but they have no energy because they expended all of the resources too fast, too quick because they didn't have their priorities straight. Survival, life, 
is all about priorities and having your priorities straight. And what Jesus is talking about here is priorities, focusing on what truly is necessary. Now, anxiety is just the opposite. It couldn't be more opposite than being focused on priorities. Being anxious about your life, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. The Greek term there is merimneo. It means to care, to be over-anxious, to be distracted, to be drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts, A.T. Robertson says. Figuratively, it's to be pulled in pieces, to go to pieces. It's fragmented. It's like a force, a tension, a stress between all of these different things in your life. You know what that feels like, don't you? I've got to worry about this and that, and there's the other thing, and oh, well, I'm trying to do this. At the same time, I'm concerned about that, and I'm thinking about this, and there's all of these different areas, and our mind and heart are pulled in so many different directions, and stress is the tension between all of those different anxieties and cares that we try and hold to at the same time anxious about your life. Jesus uses this exact term when he's talking to Martha and Mary when he's at their house. You remember? Martha is so busy with all of this serving, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching. Luke chapter 10 verse 41, Jesus says to Martha after she calls out her sister, tell Mary to help me, I'm doing all this stuff and she's just sitting. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you are worried, you are anxious. You are overly concerned and upset about many things, Jesus says. That's anxiety. All of these different things in my life at the same time are all taking my focus and my attention and my care and pulling up pieces of my mind and heart. That's anxiety. Remember what Jesus says next? He says, one thing is necessary talking about priorities and necessities, right? One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good portion. One thing is necessary. Wouldn't it be great if all you had to worry about in the course of a day was one thing? Doesn't that sound good? Because I'm pretty sure all of us, at any given moment, are thinking and concerned about more than just one thing. It's pretty rare if your only focus is one thing. Jesus says, one thing is necessary. One thing has to be top priority. So if anxiety is being pulled in multiple directions at the same time, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? A choice has to be made. Anxiety says there's too many choices to make. You can't make them all. Where do you even start? It all becomes overwhelming. I just need help. For example, Martha. Tell her to help me. It comes down to priority, doesn't it? Do you remember the Say Yes campaign? You can't do everything, but you're gifted to do something, right? You can't do it all. Why do we trick ourselves into thinking we can do it all? Who comes first on your schedule? Who comes first in your bank account? Who comes first when it comes to your energy level? It's all about priority. A choice needs to be made. Now, Let's get super practical right off the bat. Do you keep a calendar? Keeping a calendar, keeping a schedule, having something written down for the days of the week, the months, the year, it's a really super practical way to prioritize your time, isn't it? 
Do you have a budget? Do you sit down at the end of the month and take the credit card statement and see if it lines up with where your priorities, your budgeted priorities sat? You, you might think, you know, maybe you're younger, just starting out in life, I don't need those things, that sounds like a lot of work. It's actually going to save you a lot of work. It's going to save you a lot of time, a lot of money to establish what your priorities are when it comes to schedule, when it comes to budgeting, when it comes to your energy. Jesus is speaking to a low-income, oppressed, impoverished, agrarian society. People who had to work very hard, very long hours to grow food, collect water, make their own clothing, pay taxes, care for their family. There's a lot of stress and anxiety wrapped up in that picture. Chances are these people are worried about a lot of things. They're worried about the Romans taking over. They're worried about the future for their kids. They're worried about weather and crops. They're worried about safety. They're worried about illness and health. So let's tackle this, this big ugly thing called anxiety and worry and stress. I want to point out three lies that we tend to believe about worry. Three lies that we tell ourselves when it comes to anxiety. And I think it ties in exactly to what Jesus is teaching in this Sermon on the Mount. The ways we've come to accept and justify our busy, stressful, mind-racing, margin-busting lives as normal and acceptable. Here's lie number one. Worry communicates something good. Look at verse 26. First of all, Jesus says, don't worry. And then he says, look at the birds of the air. Do you just kind of want to say like, Jesus, I don't have time for bird watching. Look at the birds of the air. Just take a second, slow down. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns like that foolish farmer who brought in that big harvest and said, I'm going to build my barns bigger and store it all and fool this night will be taken from you. The birds neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Birds are symbolic of freedom, right? Weightlessness, flight. They just kind of flutter away without a care in the world. There's a P-51 Mustang, which has been affectionately named the Worry Bird. And is parked at the Abraham Lincoln Memorial Air Site in Illinois. And out of 8,000 P-51 Mustangs that were built to fly in the war, it's, only, it's one of only 106 that can still fly. Fortunate, lucky, is what people say. People have also made these little metal figurines. I didn't know this. They're called worry birds. They fit in the palm of your hand. It's kind of like a stress ball. And the tagline is, you tell the bird your worries and cares, and it flies away with all of your worries and troubles. Doesn't that sound nice? For two easy installments of $15.99 and a, and a small... I think these totally miss the point of this verse. It's not about luck. It's not about being fortunate. It's not about storing food. It's not even really about birds. It's about how much God loves us and cares for us and values us. We, we tend to think, we believe the lie that Worry, stress, and anxiety, it communicates just how much we care about something. Man, I couldn't sleep a wink last night because I knew that that project was due, so I stayed up until 3 a.m. stressing about getting it done. What we think we're communicating is, 
I'm a hard worker. I've got this under control. I'm dependable. I'm taking it seriously. But when we worry, when we stress, are we not devaluing the God who told us not to? Are we not refusing to take him at his word? It's like if you're trying to carry something heavy and somebody says, hey, let me carry that for you. So they pick it up. And the whole time they're carrying it, you're standing over their shoulder like, be careful, don't hurt yourself. Do you, do you have a good grip on it? Don't drop it now. And doing that gasp thing like moms tend to do, careful, oh, careful, don't drop it. And they're just kind of standing, do you need me to Stress, anxiety, worry. Are we really entrusting that individual with the burden when we're hovering over their shoulder, chewing our nails in stress? No, we don't trust them. What we're communicating to them is, I'm worried you're going to drop the ball. I'm worried you're going to drop it and break it and fail. Maybe I should just do it myself. That's what worry and stress and anxiety communicates to a God who says, if I take care of the birds, am I not just as capable and loving and caring to take care of you? Worry actually communicates that you don't really trust. Here's lie number two. We fall into this lie believing that worry accomplishes something good. Verse 27, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Have you ever been stressed out about something and someone tells you, just calm down, just relax, just take it easy? What, how do you want to respond to that person? Have you ever thought, I'm stressed, I know how much needs to get done. How can you be so calm about this? Do you even care? You should be stressed out about this like I'm stressed about this. Maybe you don't realize how much needs to get done. You need to be worried about this too. You're not taking this seriously. Tell me to calm down. You been in a conversation like that? What does worrying accomplish? Nerves? A racing mind that never shuts off, even when you lay your head on the pillow? Maybe we think we're being serious about the task, detailed, getting it right, because if I don't, who will? But what if we just think of Jesus' simple little example right here? Can you add a single hour to the span of your life by being worried? Have you ever said, in the midst of a busy, stressful day, where you feel like you have to accomplish so much, if only there were more hours in the day. I personally sense stress, stress and anxiety when I'm rushed, when there's a deadline that doesn't seem to provide enough time to get the work done. That's when I feel stress. And the night before the project is due or the sermon is to be preached or the event is to happen, I have these wild nightmares. I can't tell you how many times I've had the nightmare where I'm the guest speaker at the church and they invite me to come up front and the printer isn't working, I can't get the sermon out, so I jump up and I try and ad-lib it and it just goes horribly and I end up having to apologize saying, I'm sorry, I wasn't ready, you don't have to pay me as the guest speaker and I walk off and I wake up from the nightmare in a hot sweat. 
Do you ever get that? Maybe that's too much of a personal therapy session. Do you ever go to do a simple task and on the way to the simple task, you see another task that needs to be done. And as you get that task done, there's another task that needs to be done. And by the end of the day, it gets dark. You sit down to supper. Oh yeah, that task that I went out to get done never actually got done because my mind was pulled in all of these different directions and I didn't focus on that one thing. I remember a conversation about blood pressure with my family doctor. And I didn't think you had conversations about blood pressure in your mid-20s with your family doctor. That's just ridiculous to me. And in conversation with her, she said, caffeine and stress, you need to control those in your life. What causes you stress? I said, well, how much time you got, doctor? <clears throat> so I gave this big list. This was like six, seven years ago. We've got our first child. Life is changing rapidly. I gave her this big list, and she said, here's the problem. You're taking all of these things that you're concerned about and they're becoming this mountain in front of you that you're never going to overcome. What if you just looked at them one at a time, prioritized them, broke them down? I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. What does worrying actually accomplish? Nothing good, nothing healthy, high blood pressure. I think there's some irony in what Jesus is saying. You think you can add an hour to the span of your life by worrying? Actually, worry takes off hours from your life. I think there's some irony in that. Lie number three that we fall into believing about worry. Worry comforts us. This one sounded so wrong to me. And I tried to find out different ways to word it, but I think this is really what is, is being said. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, why are you anxious about clothing? What does clothing do? It keeps you warm, covers you, comforts you. Why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin like those birds don't harvest and reap. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? Will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Second Chronicles chapter 9, the queen of Sheba shows up to King Solomon to hear his wisdom, to see all the splendor. Second Chronicles 9 and verse 3, when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. It took her breath away. She saw the splendor. Now, we're not just talking about the three priorities of life, food, shelter, and water. We're not just talking about clothing. We're talking about all the comforts and prestige and all the things that come along with wealth. The food that's on his table, the people around him, what they're dressed in. This goes way beyond necessity and top priority. Comfort. I was reading a few articles on anxiety and comfort and coping mechanisms and methods, relaxation. In 2011, Dr. Newman coined the phrase contrast avoidance theory. 
And it's the theory that revolves around the idea that people may make themselves anxious intentionally as a way to avoid the letdown they might get if something bad were to happen. So, because the vast majority, and I'm talking like the statistic is in the 90s, 90 percentile, because the vast majority of the things that we worry about never actually materialize and happen, people equate their thinking, their, their stress, and their worry as accomplishing that. I, I was worried about this, and it didn't happen, therefore worrying maybe played a part in bringing about that good, positive result. I, I know we laugh. I know we do, and it seems so weird. Worrying is a coping method for stress and anxiety. If we're worrying about something, there's a level of control, perceived control that we have over that situation. If I'm worried about it, there's a level of control that, that I feel I am exerting over it. Maybe I'm getting too deep and too clinical, but it goes kind of like this. If I'm worried and stressed about my alarm, chances are I'm going to wake up. If I'm worried and stressed about having money to pay off the credit card at the end of the month, chances are I'll have the money. Worry, stress, anxiety becomes like this heavy blanket that we weirdly take to comfort ourselves. Take shelter under it. It's like clothing. It gives an odd sense of control and comfort. We hide under it. We escape under it. It's easier to say I have too much on the go than to actually engage. Jesus says, but how much more will God clothe you, O you of little faith? This is a faith issue, isn't it? Isn't that what it comes down to? We believe the lie that worry can do what it cannot do do. Look at verses 31 and 32 as we come towards the end. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, when Jesus uses the term Gentile, he's referring to people who are without God people who are pagans, people who don't understand that they have a heavenly father who cares for them and will provide for them. They chase after food, they chase after water, they chase after shelter. It becomes this kind of like this, this caveman picture, like we're just trying to survive. But Jesus goes on to say, that's not your story. That doesn't have to be your story. That should not be your story, your aim in life just to survive. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Do you believe that? God knows what you need right now. We've been offering discussion guides with questions with this stuffed campaign and we're halfway through. And I want to remind you there's physical copies out in the lobby. They come out in the newsletter, a digital copy. You can get it right on your phone. But one of the discussion questions for today's truth content is... Who is best suited to determine what you really need? Are you the best person to make that call? Surely it's not the person sitting beside you because they don't truly know what you truly need. But 
Do you know what you need better than God knows what you need? Who's best suited to determine what you really need? Look at verse 33. Verses 33 and 34, and then I've got an illustration. We're going to sing a song and we're going to be done for the day. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Have you heard this verse before? Kind of sounds like the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. It's all about priorities, isn't it? What comes first? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of the other things that occupy our mind and heart and take our thoughts in different directions causing anxiety will be added unto you. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why would we ruin today worrying about what may or may not, actually there's like a 10% chance that it might happen tomorrow. So I've got this illustration for you to end and I'm hoping it works. It's from Pastor Josh Sutton from Seacoast Church. Priorities. All of these things in life will be added to you. If we get it backwards and we go after the stuff first, I'm talking in our schedule, in our budget, in how we expend our energy, we want to put ourselves first. We want to put all these things that occupy our mind and our heart first. If we do that first, it's, it's really tricky to find space for the weightier thing, the more important thing, the more worthy thing. When, when we fill our life with stuff, it's really difficult to find space for God after the fact, isn't it? You ever fill your schedule and then try and serve at church? You ever pay all of the bills that come and then try and be generous? You ever do all the things that you want to do in the course of the day and then try and find energy for your family? If we get this backwards, it's, it's very hard to find space and time for what truly matters in life. Seek first the kingdom of God. But if we do seek first the kingdom of God and we put God at the forefront, give him the first fruits, give him the first moments of our day, give him the most important seat, the seat on our heart. And then we add everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. It's, it's this crazy law of capacity. Like somehow more space, more margin, more time, maybe more money, maybe more energy. All of a sudden, it just fits. So we put God first and all of these things are added unto us. 
I don't know if you've ever found that you've been in a busy season of life where you're trying to figure out how to cover all of these bases that have you anxious and are causing stress, pulling you in all these different areas. And then you decide, you know what? I'm just going to stop. I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to give him my focus. I'm going to put him as first place in my life. I have heard story after story and testimony after testimony where all of a sudden, everything else finds its rightful place when God and his kingdom and his will is put first in our lives. It's the craziest thing. So where does our trust lie? What does our worrying communicate? If God is not first in our life, then there's no other road to take than anxiety and stress and worry. If God is first in our life, do we trust him and believe when he says that when we seek his kingdom first, all these things will be added to, unto us? That when we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, then we can come to our daily bread and forgiving our trespasses? What would happen if you put God first in your life this week? What would change? Is putting God first and placing your faith and trust in him an antidote to anxiety and stress and worry and all the things that weigh so heavy on your heart and mind? What if we put God first today? Band's gonna play one closing song and we've already sang it. He is the same God that we read about in the stories of scripture, the God who parted the sea, the God who breathes life, the God who heals, the God who changes hearts. It's the same God that we serve today. We're going to take some time and think about putting him first in our life. If you would like to pray, there will be people willing and able and wanting to pray with you today. Now's an opportunity to think and consider and respond, to meditate on God's word before we go to cafe, before we get our picture taken, before we go on with our day. Let's think about what the Holy Spirit is impressing on our hearts from God's word today. Can we do that? Would you pray with me and stand if you would as we pray together? God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Would you help us to seek first your kingdom? God, help us to give you the first and rightful place in our lives. Jesus, thank you that you summed up the law, that we would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. God, help us to have our priorities straight today. God, thank you that you have promised, you are willing, you are able, and we believe it to be true, that all of this other stuff in life will fall into place when we have you in the first and rightful ruling place in our hearts and lives, God. Would you be with our anxious hearts, our worried minds? God, help us to rest and recharge in the fact that you love us. You know what we need better than we know what we need. And God, I pray you'd give us the courage and the faith to leave that in your hands, Father. In Jesus' name.